Welcome to another episode of the Ministry of Pod. I'm P.H. Trey. Today, I'll be talking to Grav and Deepest House about their careers inside of Arapaean media. One of them has one of the most prolific private media outlets in Arapaean history, the Arapaean Research Institute, while the other, Deepest House, has one of the most prolific EBC-centric careers. Enjoy. First up, let's talk to Grav. Grav, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. All right, let's get started in talking about European Research Institute, which is your media outlet. Tell me a little bit about how it came to be. Well, I think initially I wrote an article for the EBC like a long time ago, looking back at like newcomer candidates. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was a kind of a very data driven article. That specific effort was kind of expired, inspired by some of the things the ENN has done or in particular has like put together through in the past. Uh, So I then took that and was like, that article was very well received. So I decided to like make an outlet out of it and see if I could do data-driven articles on other things. And that's just kind of how it started. Yeah, and that's one thing when I came back to Euro and I saw ERI and the quality of the output that you have, like each article is a banger, right? There are no misses. Everything you do is data-driven, it's analytical, it's thoughtful. Like, do you, How did you arrive at this point where you realized that this could be a successful niche? Was it the EBC article or what, did you bring outside experience from your data-driven life to Euro? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm a fairly analytical person. I got like a data analytics minor in college or whatever. So like I had like a base skill set that I could come and like apply. Um, So I kind of just did that. And usually, I mean, a lot of this, these articles actually were like someone, I was like arguing with someone about something and um, they had some belief about, you know, something I could and find some data for in the region so I just got annoyed enough with whoever's argument it was that I like went and found you know whatever information would you know be relevant to that discussion I love that that is there's a lot of times where we we make claims or we say that we're doing x causes y and it's not always backed up by data right sometimes it's just the gut that says it. And it's fun to put together the data to, to sort of verify or debunk these claims. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the every minister ever thing was actually just because darkness, I guess, you know, asserted that uh, like the Senate never rejects uh, nominees. So I that project started as me just like going back to like find out how often it was, which is not, it's not super often, but it's, it's occasional. Um, and that's kind of how that project started. So. Yeah. I remember that's one that actually jumped out to me when I came back, I was like, Hey, I'm in this article and there's some fun context here. We has one thing that's, you know, always the case when you're, when you're making your data driven work, 
that each of those nominees in the every minister ever or the every nomination ever is a story. It's a person. It's a player in our community. And so it's sort of fun to fill in those that dummy variable of did they get nominated or did they get approved by the cabinet into like there is a huge political story behind some of these. Like some of these were the political crises of their time. And it's fun to, to see that in graph form, right? Or see that in, in code. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a, a big part of the, some of those projects that's really interesting to me is that, I mean, I've been here five years now, I guess, but there's still, you know, there's like, years and years of Euro history before that. So I got to from kind of at least somewhat familiarize myself with some members and events um, prior to when I was even here and then, you know, allow people to kind of look back through that resource as well to kind of get that context of, you know, where the region has been and where it's now. Do you think that doing this data-driven work through the ERI has helped inform your like your knowledge of how early euro works right so you, you were here for five years but you're going back into some really early history does that give you an appreciation of how far we've come or just does it give you some unique perspective you think relative to your peers um i don't i mean i don't think it's necessarily a unique perspective given that um i guess the information is kind of open to everybody but i definitely think it was very interesting to see in like, especially like very early Euro, where it was like, it's pretty self-evident. This is like a, a bunch of, you know, basically kids, like 13, you know, teenagers um, playing politics. And like, that's very evident and kind of like all of the threads and all of the, just like how people like talk to each other and probably a lot more in like the drama that came up. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it was, very like interesting to see like you know like 13 year old hems posts um from like 2008 or whatever because like he's for like the entire time i've been in the region he's obviously been you know the the very distinguished founder and kind of an elder statesman um so it that's that's been very interesting to see digging back through threads definitely i uh, so I started playing Euro in 2011, 2010. And even then he seemed like a distinguished uh, old guard, it was called. And yet you look back at some of our posts, some of my posts, you're like, oh my goodness. It's a good thing this is that ERI focuses on data so that it's numbers and not, you know, the cringe content index. Uh, hopefully you right. never make that. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a project. <laughs> Actually, I think the closest you've gotten is a really successful series you've done called ERI Report, What's the Best Meme? That's the closest we get to the cringe index. Yeah, that Sopo and Calvin like randomly did a meme review. I think it was like because some other plan for the broadcast fell through, like their last minute decision was to do a meme review. Calvin like specifically said like while they were going through them that like no one's keeping track of this because like that would be insane so I was listening to the broadcast and I decided I'm gonna keep track of this and it's been like eight articles or nine articles later your life's work 
Right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that's been definitely just kind of like a fun thing. And I think people really appreciate kind of seeing their like scores move up and down and everything like that. Maybe not so much down. Maybe they don't like seeing it go down, but they like seeing their scores. So what other projects have you, inside of ERI, are you proud of? Is there a particular series? I know that every minister ever is now almost a public good um, for folks. Is there any other project that stands out to you? One other thing that I think is, was particularly notable I did was when Bree Shakespeare, or whatever their name was, was like Minister of Interior um, in 2019, mm-hmm. um, they got fired for like faking telegrams and like faking sending telegrams. They're just like clicking the, the helper button a ton of times. And um, that was dug up by Calvin. Well, they got fired and then the reason was dug up by Calvin at the Panda's Pen. So I took, you know, some of my Excel skills just to download um, the sheet or the, mm-hmm. the helper logs and put those into Excel and then just use Excel formulas to basically determine um, how many of these are fakes. Because if it's less than five seconds, you could not possibly have sent the telegram because of nation states' um, spam timer. So I just did that. I pulled that and it turned out like 80% or something of the telegrams that they had purported. 72.8%. Right. Yeah. It was, it was ridiculous. Um you know, were fake. And then that led to a court case in which they got banned for it. And it also, there was another article after that, which kind of looked at like everyone's and it was just kind of an interesting thought experiment as to like how much, you know, human error or like intentional skipping of like Nazi puppets or whatever um, was standard. So I thought that was a very interesting project that had more I guess, real, quote-unquote, implications in the reason. Do you ever think you'll be able to, I mean, frankly, uncovering someone's, you know, what's fraud is a level of investigation that most of us can only aspire to. Do you think you'll ever reach those pinnacles again? Or is that, like, not the one that got away because you got... But is that it? Is that the is it the biggest uh, trophy you think you will have, or is there something else in the works or that could happen someday? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I think the outlet has kind of peaked. Um, in that, both that and I think the Every Minister Ever are kind of like two different like jewels that you know are not beatable. I think in any way in terms of their impact. But yeah, like I, I think it, it's also just that like I have less time now than I did, you know, in the middle of COVID. So it's like if I like an every senator ever or something like that is definitely going to be would kind of just not on the table. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was I got I had like unless like, you know, a team came together, to, like I, the Avengers assembled to like track that stuff. I just don't think. It's yeah, we got a Google sheet. We got a Google sheet going that I added you to with right. uh, some Senate election outcomes, but they get really hard pre twenty eighteen because of the nature of the forum change and what that did to poll results. Yeah, and I mean, it's you could 
kind of like you could search through dispatches which i did a little bit you know with Mm -hmm. that but even then like it's not it was that wasn't consistently done and then you're kind of like you can like scrounge discord like in case someone like posted the results which i feel like happens usually um but it's really like gonna end it end up being like a ton of like really deep digging which is just going to take so much time to find like beyond, even if it was just available, like straight up on the forums, that would, that Mm -hmm. would also take like a ton of time. So I want to take a step back because you you mentioned, you think that the ERI has peaked. I would push back a little bit and say that the ERI, the public goods that you've created are going to last are the legacy that you don't peak until people stop using and caring about the goods that you've created here. So first of all, I'm not going to let you say that. Um, You still have some great content here. Um, I actually wanted to talk to you and nerd out for a little bit about an idea that I had. Sure. Ready? So I was chatting with some folks about who's the next ovation worthy member of Euro. And it came to mind. Are you familiar with uh, baseballreference.com? Yeah. It's a, it's, so it's a website that is has the statistics of every major league baseball player ever. Right. And one, one page they have or one feature is a probability of making the Hall of Fame, which basically is just a really long and short. It's a logit, which is basically for folks who don't know this it's like a model where they say the probability that you'll be in the hall of fame given the observable characteristics of the baseball player his statistics how many home runs he has how many rbis how many uh walks how many strikeouts yada how many wins etc what do you think about trying to come up with a probability of making ovation hall of fame or making some sort of ovation metric you know, on the left-hand side, yeah, your probability, your probability of being being in the Hall of Fame, being in the ovation. Right-hand side, your awards, the number of times you've been president, number of Senate terms, number of cabinet positions you've had, and see what you get. Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty interesting. Um, I guess you could initially do it just by looking back, take, like, all the past awardees and, like... Definitely, yep. ...regress it, I guess. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, you would use those. You would use those, and then see what features they have, and uh, apply that those coefficients onto people who haven't won ovations yet, and see who's the most ovation worthy based off of how similar they are to people who've already won. Now that's that's an ERI project. Yeah, I mean, I definitely it it's definitely possible, but I feel like I mean to do it the best way. It's like an every senator ever and every justice ever away from being made because like mm-hmm. if we had that and inf- if that information was like already stuffed into a google sheet somewhere then like you could probably pretty easily do that am i giving you some am i giving you some long-term goals here yeah well i mean right yeah yeah I, it's it's a lot of these projects really are just like since it's kind of like such an uphill battle it really takes like a fire to like get started because like every justice ever i think is just as doable since those are all confirmation threads um 
and I like st I started a spreadsheet for it, but I it didn't get that far because I kind of I did that right after um, I finished the, the every minister ever, and I was pretty burned out. Um, but yeah, like some of those things are you know pretty feasible and like could get done at some point. So to move on from from my bad idea. I wanted to talk a little bit to you, just take a step back from ERI and just chat to you a little bit about Euromedia in general. Uh, you mentioned you'd done a little bit of work in the EBC before you went to ERI and also some of the influence that you, that you get gained from uh, HEM's more data-driven work in the ENN. Are there any other outlets that you consume and say like, this is on my Mount Rushmore, this is, you know, what stands out to me as a, a pinnacle of media, or is it more just you have your niche, other folks have their niche? How do you see yourself and how do you see your own media in general, I guess, is a more broad question here. Um, yeah, I mean, well, so like, I, I guess over the time I've been in the region, I think private media, Mount Rushmore, I'd put myself, the ENN and the Panda's Pen, which is Calvin's outlet that's been very consistent and he's done a lot of great, um, you know, data-driven mm -hmm. articles in, in addition to, I guess, similar to the ENN, which is more op-ed and more like current events drive-in things. Um, the EBC is really just depends on who's ever, you know, in charge of it in determining like the, the content that gets put out. Like I know, um, you know, DH's op-eds are always like, or I guess uh, he's retired, I think. So his op-eds were very like, always like a, a cultural moment when they came out. Um, mm -hmm. And um, Maui has put together a lot of like really cool projects um, that I specifically remember. Um, one of them, which was like a introspective data-driven article about like the viewership the EBC gets. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different lanes. I think articles and like different people occupy. There's there's like the polling route, which like I think a lot of it's it's the most accessible part mm -hmm. of you know media that you can produce. You just put out a poll and you do some analysis on it. Um, that's a role you know the EBC is filled, and a lot of like private media articles or private media outlets um, that people start out and last you know however long or usually do polling um prim's prim has like a pretty unique um the i think it's uh his outlet his uh private media outlet does the census which is like a yes. pretty unique thing but yeah so there's like there's like kind of like different lanes but i think of of the outlets that like stick around for a while they all kind of like dip into like all of them I guess I though my articles are kind of I haven't really stepped in the op-ed space and I know there's a lot of great private media outlets like aftermath was yours prior to my being in the region I swack stack squawk swack 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 yeah yes. had, had a like I think a premier polling outlet that I like stumbled upon the globe was another one that was a little bit more spicy takes yeah, I, that was Rach's, and I always remember that being more like FA, mm -hmm. you know, oriented. 
But yeah, like everyone kind of just brings their own like little spin on it. And if it sticks around for a while, I feel like it, it generally has, you know, added something unique to the community. What about radio? What is your thought on how radio can interact with uh, data-driven work or media in general? Or do you sort of see that as a different beast than the kind of work that the ERI does? Like, I feel like all content in this region kind of is similar and, and symbiotic with each other. Like The first major article I did was a reaction to um, a radio show, I think, Hem... Sopo and maybe Calvin were on in which they they uh, the Senate got accused of just pushing commas around mm -hmm. um, so like I looked at that you know claim and wrote that article um, in response there's also been you know radio shows that have been we I know me and Calvin did a radio show about his um, articles about honored citizens and their medals, which is just a unique discussion. So it, you know, it works both ways in that radio and, you know, like an audio format can expand some of like the analysis and discussion around it. And it can also like provoke, you know, further thought in written form. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it seems like it's very like symbiotic. And one thing that's interesting to me is that one of your biggest fans seems to be writing legend. And this might be a controversial take, but the GAO, Government Accountability Office, is essentially doing data-driven work within the executive branch, almost like a administration-based ERI. Would you push back on that claim or would you take credit a little bit for like, yeah, that's that's kind of what we do, but for... with with. Senate approved, the Senate approved ERI. Well, I mean, that has kind of happened before. I was... Uh, you can take credit for it anyways. Well, yeah, but like, I don't, I think, I don't think that like I in particular, like I think broader society-wise there's been a definitely an em emphasis on increase in data. And I think maybe in this region, I've not like, it's just like, people will see something cool sometimes and it's not like that I like directly inspired it, but they have their, you know, own thoughts, their own ideas and based off, you know, whatever article I put out, they have their own, whatever their own ideas and do something in kind of a similar vein. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the government accountability office in particular, um, cause I haven't been paying that much attention recently. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, like I was obviously inspired by Hem's articles. So if I have somehow inspired something, you know, that's great. What about the general challenges of a forum-based game, especially a forum-based game run by children, which is how right. this essentially all started, right? It's just not conducive to data collection, to documentation of where we are it it's not always for the future generation it's for what we're doing for the current community are there best practices that we should do now for the next generation of eri like outlets or is it the sort of thing that each generation needs to find its own way and make its own connections to historical arapaia the arapaia of the past i mean i i, I think just it's good to like have, you know, 
the institutional memory like clearly laid out because like as we've, like as I've seen like going back through things like a lot of things got destroyed and like form transfers etc so if there's information that you particularly value if you're like a minister or whatever and you think that should be passed on you should write that down and in addition to just directly communicating it so like just putting things you know bringing things and discussions onto the forums is kind of like the only thing um that like will keep it around for like future generations so is discord hell as as hem once famously said is it hell for eri yeah well i mean if you if it's you know i, I think sif did an article or not an article but like i think it was like a post where he did like data analysis on how much every different people send so it's a new opportunity but like in terms of like if we were to move the regional governance to discord i think that would most likely like prohibit (laughs) a eri type article or outlet from doing those things in the future just because it's such a fast-moving mess that like probably harder to kind of extract um such things from all right well rap thank you so much for joining me do you have any other final thoughts on either the eri on media day in general on you know sitting down today to have the opportunity to celebrate the hard work that has gone into this region in media do you have any thoughts that you'd like to wrap us up with? Well, I, I guess I'll just like thank everyone for reading my articles and also thank everyone for, um, you know, putting their creativity and their uh, hard work out there for myself to enjoy as a reader of all the rest of the EBC and the private media outlets. Thanks again to Grav for talking to us on Arapayan Media Day about his award-winning outlet, Arapayan Research Institute. Our next guest, Deepest House, is a prolific contributor to the EBC. He ran the EBC, modernized dispatches, and created the template system that is still used to this day to help inform and train new writers to the EBC. Very excited to talk to him, so stick around for our next interview with Deepest House. Deepest House, an EBC legend and media mogul. How is it going? Yeah, hey, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate the call and and you thinking about me for Media Day. I really look forward to our discussion today and having a good conversation. Yeah, I wanted to get started with your earliest days in Euromedia and sort of walk through your career. So do you remember your first impression of being in Euromedia, like what it was like to join a region that has this flourishing private and public media atmosphere? Sure. So I guess a couple of thoughts there on my end. Um, I, I think most people who have followed my career know that 
the vast majority, if not all of my contributions have been through the EBC and not mm-hmm. through private media, right? So I think that's something that um, I have a little bit different from a lot of our uh, other people who have been longtime players in the, in the regional media is that pretty much all of my contributions have been through the EBC. So, and when I joined the region, it was also the first region I ever joined, right? It was, this is, this is where I came, right? So I didn't, I didn't know what a region had in terms of media or not and how uh, Euro compared to other regions. So I just showed up and then SOPO uh, asked me to be minister of communications, took a chance on me and, and that was really the first job I had in Europe. How quickly did you go from joining the region to becoming Minister of Communications? What was that turnaround like? I mean, it was probably a week or two weeks, something like that. It was really quick. And so you're right away getting involved, essentially running the EBC, because realistically, that's what it means to be a, a Minister of Communications is you're essentially in charge of this really sophisticated, professionalized outlet. Did you see a lot of like institutional pushback? Was the region ready to accept your vision of what the EBC should be? Yeah, I think a lot of people could see what I was trying to do and were at least willing to give me a chance to, to see how I could do it. There wasn't a lot, a lot of pushback on, on, on a lot of the things I did. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to concentrate on was, you know, turnaround time, right? If something happened, get a news piece out quickly. And I really focused on dispatches at first, right? Increase the quality and quantity of our dispatches and really wanted our dispatches to take more of a press release style. And, and so I really focused on that and uh, I think uh, did, did a lot to, to get us there, uh, creating templates and uh, just trying to teach others, you know, how to, how to write a, a solid news release, you know, using the active voice, how to write a good lead, a good, uh, how to use quotes effectively. So yeah, I, I did that. I developed the EBC style guide, right? And so one of the things that we suffered from previously was consistency. Increasing consistency will increase quality. And as a, as a professional journalism outfit, I thought the EBC needed to have a style guide. And so I wrote and established the first EBC style guide, which is, you know, when I wrote it, it was intended to be a living document. And, you know, ministers of communication since then have continued to update it. It's still in use today. I think that's one of my most lasting contributions to the EBC. In fact, Nation States Today, I, I created the initial Nation States Today uh, style guide as well, uh, a few years later on, based in large part from the EBC style guide. That was really, I think, uh, uh, one of the big early contributions that I made that I, I think uh, increased the, kind of the professionalism and the consistency of the outfit. I'm going to push back a little bit when you say that's your greatest lasting contribution is your style guide. I went back and I had the pleasure of reading through a number of your authored posts within the EBC. And there is essentially a greatest hits of the EBC that I am scrolling through authored by Deepest House. Do you want to talk a little bit about not just your work that you did running the EBC, but your actual content that you put out? Because it is essentially like a private media outlet's worth of content that you've you've done for the EBC. Yeah, sure. I'd I'd be happy to talk about any of the uh, work that I've put out there, you know, that's one of the things about media is that when you put it out there, your name is on it, you know, so you have to, you have to live with it. Um, I, I would just say one thing, like I, I don't think I claim that the, the style guide was my greatest, but I think it was one of my, one of my greatest contributions. I'm really, it's something I'm really proud of. Um, but I, I do think um, 
I, I did put out a, quite a number of articles, and I'm happy to talk about those as well because uh, I enjoyed writing them, of course. Well, I guess I should ask then, what else is your greatest accomplishment if, if besides this, this, the style? Oh, I, I don't know that I have anything in mind. Like, this is, you know, but I'm just thinking, like, I just think about everything that I've done. I've just enjoyed all of it so much that it's hard to say one thing I think is my greatest accomplishment because it's also, you know, you're only as good as the people that you work with. You know, one person that I worked a lot with that had a lot of success within the EBC is Karamia. You know, a lot of the success I had, you know, it was, was due to her, especially in running the ministry. Yeah, so I don't know if I have any one thing that I would point to. Uh, but there are a lot of things, and we have time to discuss about lots of things, and we'll let people uh, make their own decisions, I guess. Yeah, let me get into some, because one thing you've always been known for, I, I would argue, is your opinion pieces in the EBC. Sometimes provocatively spicy takes, but always generating interest, always, like, you know, there are thousands of views, over a hundred replies in some cases, for your it's it's news but it comes from your perspective is, would, would you agree with that way of describing the work that you do i think for my opinion pieces uh, absolutely you know i mean that's that's why they're opinion pieces and, mm -hmm. and they, they are your perspective and that's why you label them as such but even with my my more hard news pieces you know um i always tried to create engaging content like you said content that would generate views, content that would generate engagement, you know, clicks and comments really as much as anything. Um, so whether opinion pieces or, or the more newsy news pieces, always tried to create entertaining content. Did you find that over time, you know, you started in the region in what, 2015? Is that right? Yep. And from 2015, your last post in the EBC was last year, 2021. You've taken a little bit of a backseat recently in the last few years. Have you? But have you noticed a, a change in how the region reacts to the same kind of stories that you're putting out? You know, you're writing the same high-quality, engaging content, but is the region's interest in this kind of media changing over time? I think that's tough to say. I, I think if, if there is any changing interest in that kind of media over time, I think it has more, less to do with actual media and more to do with the changing dynamics of the region over time mm -hmm. with a less less of an emphasis on political gameplay which results in you know kind of the less you know le lesser media uh, productivity in general right i mean we're we're a political region and if we aren't having all of that political gameplay that's not going to be the engine that drives a lot of of diverse and robust media coverage so i just think in general there might be a decline in media because there's been a decline in uh, the region's political dynamics over the past few years. Is that something that you regret? Could you, if you could press a button that could uh, bring us back in time to the interest level in politics of 2017, 2018, would you press it? Of course, right? Um, I, I would press it. But it was also a different time technology-wise. I really think, at least for the one of the ways that I enjoyed using uh, the media and, and writing for the media was using forum posts, right? We, had, we would have engaging discussions on the forums, very engaging discussions on the forums uh, at a time when we were more politically vibrant. And a lot of that's gone away. Um, and, and a lot of those engaging posts and vibrant political discussions were great theater for 
you know, some of the articles that I wrote. And without that activity happening on the forum and happening on Discord uh, to the degree that it does, which is very much, it, it, it's more difficult to create that kind of media environment. It makes it a lot more work for the journalist to have to be essentially be 24-7 living on Eurochat in order to find the interesting content. Like I can think of examples of like senators having outbursts in the Eurochat, you know, on the Discord, complaining about the conduct of either colleagues or of the president. And that's a news story. But if you don't see it when it happens or if you don't have someone gossiping to you, you're going to miss it because there's thousands and thousands of posts a day and nobody can just trawl through everything that happens in Eurochat every day. So that's definitely a dynamic that has changed the way that we have to think about hard news and how we obtain the information that it takes to, to get the stories out there. Because everybody's missing that possibly, right? Only the people who are active in Eurochat in that moment are going to actually see those kinds of comments. Right. No, I, th I think you're correct. But, but even the, the degree to which the debate and the commentary happens in Eurochat is totally different than a forum, right? Mm -hmm. People take the time to, to create a forum post. The forum, you know, it lives forever, right? And it's there. And, you know, you get some really, really interesting comments um, in forum posts. And, and sometimes, you know, one of my greatest things, or my favorite things was pulling people's comments and creating articles out of them, you know? Or pulling people's comments and using them as quotes, right? And there, there, it, it got into a point where people would be like, when they saw that they were used as a, as a quote in an article from a forum post, they they, they really liked it, you know. Um, and that's something else that created and generated um, interest in in engaging, right? If if you're engaging and you know, okay, I could say something here that gets cited by the media, um, it could have a couple of effects, right? But you know, I think if anything, it's uh, it, it drives drives engagement and increases quality of posts. Um, or you can people could make a uh, a dumb comment, uh, you know, about something like say the Senate passes something or the president signs something or the executive makes a decision on something. Um, someone could make a dumb comment about it that is totally out of whack, and I could write an article about that, you know. Um, but it's all on the forum, and uh, I, I do kind of lament the days that that we had because it's just missing today and uh it takes it takes a lot out of the region to, to not have that dynamic form activity so to talk a little bit about other media that was competing with the ebc because one element of running the ebc and writing articles for the ebc is you're looking to your left you're looking to your right and at the best of times as a media content creator, I would argue, is there are people trying to beat you to the scoop, or there are people who are trying to write a great article that will get reactions. That means that your article isn't getting as much attention. Did you ever think about the dynamic that you had or the competition that you had with private media? Do you look back at that with, with any sort of fondness? Uh, I didn't honestly, I didn't think about it. Right. Um, when I, when I was, you know, fully engaged and, and in the groove, I was just writing stories, you know, and, and that's what it was. I did, I did focus on trying to get a story out, you know, as quickly as I could. I wanted to be fast with the stories. Um, I loved them to be hard hitting, you know, and, and to hit quick. Um, 
But I didn't. I don't, I nece- didn't. Don't think I necessarily viewed it as a competition with anyone to get it out because I never got trumped for a story either, right? Um, I'd never gotten into a situation where someone beat me to a story on something that happened, and I was writing the the second story. Um, but that was it. It didn't happen that way just because I was focused on being first because I thought someone else would write it. As just I was just focused on being fast. Did you have a so? Is there a different way that you would describe your relationship to private media? Or do you think that the EBC runs best when it's not thinking about private media at all? Yeah, I don't think the EBC needs to think about private media. I, I know that, you know, it's always a, a, you see it come up in various presidential elections and whatnot, you know, people talking about what role should the EBC take with private media or what should that relationship be? I, you know, I mean... I, really, for me, it's, it's none. I don't see a lot of benefit for the EBC um, to be trying to do much with private media, right? I think the EBC needs to focus its efforts on itself. Um, let private media focus on itself. Um, private media has their own independent media organization, right, that has formed to kind of create some kind of semblance of leadership within private media. So at this point, with that, I think it was an organization of independent media, I believe is what it's called, with that in place and with mm-hmm. that active, I don't think the EBC needs to really concern itself or do anything or promote or not promote or, or do anything, I think, with with private media. They just need to focus on themselves and, and have their, their efforts there. All right. So let's head back to the EBC because I want to talk about one of my favorite articles that you've written. And All right. that is the Punchwood accused of soliciting cabinet job in return for endorsement. So we, I was talking to folks, different media moguls, about their most impactful article. And from my perspective, this was a story that was incredibly impactful that you essentially broke, that you mm-hmm. peeled back these layers and were able to find some sort of you know, controversy, some truth at the center of something that maybe folks hadn't really noticed until then. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the things that I would say is that, you know, some people, you know, like you said, like I I created content a lot of times that would generate reactions, you know, and, and some people have different reactions to the content that I created. Um, sometimes I would get a little edgy. You know, but I always tried to um, present the truth, right, um, and, and and be fairly balanced. But but any journalist will have certain biases at times, and I'm certainly not um, not guilty of, of that. Um, but whatever, that's fine. I stand by everything I, I've ever written and published. Um, so, but in terms of this story, I say that to say to to share that people would come to me with pieces of information at times and say, "Hey, DH, I think this is a story." Or, hey, DH, this is going on. You know, do you think this could be a story? And, and so I'd have people come to me, you know, essentially developing sources that I could generate content, use to generate content. And, and that was what happened here. Um, some individuals came to me with some, some, some accusations and some information. And I did, I did some work on the ground, uh, did some investigating, uh, spoke to some people. I uh, thought there was something here, and I put that article together uh, as quickly as I could, and, and it, was, uh, it was impactful, like you said. 
That's really interesting that you mentioned sourcing because I don't want to get into Aftermath, which is, you know, that was before your time. That was an outlet that I ran in 2010, 2011. But one thing that's really interesting about Arapaya's media culture is if you are writing good content that is in the interest of your sources, and you always have to be careful about what your sources are telling you, that you will suddenly find yourself with folks giving you an inside look at potentially either illegal, unethical, you know, politically costly things that are happening in the region that you would not know otherwise if it weren't for the passion and the interest of your sources. So it's really interesting to hear that that's where this article came from. Yeah, and I think you just develop that that trust with sources even before their sources uh, with the content that you create beforehand. So these these sources knew that you know obviously they they felt confident in their accusations and I did too. That's why I would not have published the piece that I did. Um, but they also knew or believed that you know one uh, I would look into it and if it was worthy of, of a piece that I would publish something, and two that if I did publish something, it was going to be high quality and impactful. And, uh, you know, start a conversation that, that these sources were uh, looking to start and that probably needed to needed to have it happen and was, otherwise might not have. Was there ever a moment where you were asking yourself or were asked by sources about protection? Um, this doesn't really come up that often, but there is the case that, for example, Arapea uh, throughout its history has had various different information acts where certain content is not legal to disseminate um, outside of those protected forums? Or was that ever a question for you about the manner in which your sources had acquired information and the forum in which that conversation had occurred that you had to be careful about when you went to report? You know, if I had a situation that I thought might be sensitive in that kind of way, I would have thought about it more closely, but I know that, that wasn't a big consideration for me because I, I, I don't think that I was ever in a situation where I was getting information that was, you know, from the EAAC or other kind of confidential things that would be, um, you know, illegal to disclose, you know, by, by that other party. And, and had, I, had that happened, you know, I don't know what I would do, you know, um, that, that'd be an interesting situation. Uh, I think it, it would depend on the totality of the circumstances. But in terms of the pieces that I wrote and, and thinking about protection for myself or sources, uh, no. Um, but that's also because most of what I wrote came from publicly available sources, you know, uh, rather than, than clandestine. Well, that's really interesting. Um, I will say, well, we didn't exactly have the same laws back in the day, but there was lots of cabinet conversations or, you know, questions of how active people were that sort of let it move closer towards whether this was protected information or not, um, which is, you know, a really interesting thing to find yourself in the middle of, especially as a non-real life journalist, to sort of realize for myself what challenges that folks have when they, in, in their careers, when they're trying to report on these sort of things. Yeah, and I think it's something that, you know, every every journalist that's going to write for the EBC or private media, you know, we'll just have to think about. Um, but I don't think it's something to 
to think too hard on, sweat about really, you know, because I think the situations where you'll be legitimately troubled by that kind of question are going to be a few and far between. Mm -hmm. No, I, I totally agree. So I wanted to take a step back and look at a different kind of media because you focused a lot on print media in your time in Europe. Did you ever think about the relationship between radio and print media and how that played into your coverage or how that competed with your coverage? Was that ever on your mind? Well, you know, as Minister of Communications, certainly, right? How can... And, and, and when I first started with Ministry of Communications, radio was actually within the ministry. It wasn't its own its own offshoot. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember who was the, which president did that that created it as a new ministry. I think maybe Calvin Coolidge or Writing Legend. I, I don't recall exactly. Um, but after it became an independent ministry, certainly you want to think about how the two ministries can work together. I took it from approach from an administration level approach of you know what are the key messages that the administration is trying to promote. And how can we use these uh, information tools, information outlets to consistently promote that message and to complement each other's message? Uh, it didn't always work out that way in practice. We all know how, how things really go, right? We, we make a lot of great speeches and we talk about grand ideas. And then on the implementation side, sometimes we don't quite reach the ideals that we were striving for, uh, but we try, you know? That's and, all and we so can we do. To, yeah. And, 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 but yeah, so certainly you know, want to think about how the two could work together. I never really saw the two competing with each other. Um, I, I, one interesting thing is that uh, I, I think sometimes um, the, the, the radio can compete with print in timeliness, right? I think it's a lot easier for people to do a live radio show, like uh, a reaction show, debate reaction, or something like that, or some kind of commentary, um, than it is for print to get something spun up, you know, an analysis that's that's written, uh, copy edited, approved, shipped out the door. Um, so I think there's some advantages for radio in that regard. Um, but I never really thought of the two as competing, really more complementary and really more from an administration level. Uh, think, and I know this is a topic that comes up a lot. It's like, what's the appropriate role for the EBC? Is it, should it be independent? Should it, be, should it promote the administration? Um, and and I, ha I have thoughts on that as well. Um, and, I re and so I viewed it as, as these, were, these were ministries of the administration working you know, on behalf of the president and for the president. And so the administration should use them to promote its agenda and promote its uh, messaging. How does that tension, or is there a tension between that and your almost infamous leash that you had? And I don't know if I'm calling it a leash, I'm not trying to be pejorative here, but it is well known, and if listeners don't know this, that DH, you know, Darkest House is one of the only people who didn't have to go through the copy editing process when he wanted to publish an op-ed, publish a piece. It could just get out there without any pre-approval. Is that because you were always keeping the thoughts of, you know, what is the best interest of the administration in mind? Or was it more like, hey, I have a good story I want to write. And there's like an abstract concept of what's in the best interest of the administration. But this story is timely. This story will get clicks. This story is important for folks to pay attention to. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, so I think you're right. There, there was a time in the EBC when I would publish pieces without going through 
um, a copy edit process or without even posting it into the written product gallery, right? And I would just go straight to publication. Not something I would do today because I'm so disengaged, um, but I certainly did it back then. Um, and I think a couple things about that. One, I think people let me do it because they knew that I was going to be putting out good, solid pieces. Um, and two, sometimes I just kind of did it anyway, right? Um, they're certainly a, a better to ask forgiveness than permission type thing. Um, but I certainly, you know, push, push the boundaries there with, with the EBC and, and, and publishing pieces. And I think I did it more with opinion pieces. This is what really bothered people is that I would not put something into the written product gallery, particularly opinion pieces or hard hitting pieces before I published to the EBC. And then there's also a misconception that I would never have it reviewed also. Right. Um, a lot of times I didn't have it reviewed, but many times I would. Right. But so what I would do is I would publish, I would, I would, I would draft my piece in Google Docs. And it's one of those things that, you know, all right, this is going to be a hard hitting piece. I don't want to publish it in the you know, pre-publication pre, pre draft in the written product gallery and then just have people read it. And it takes the punch away from when it publishes live in the EBC. Right. So I would, I would draft it in Google Docs. And if I, sometimes I would just post, right. Of course, uh, that, that's well known. Um, but I would, I would send a link to it to the minister oftentimes saying, Hey, I plan to publish this. Give me a quick yes or no up or down. And I, and I wouldn't ask for edits. I wouldn't ask for, you know, copy edits, you know, um, it, just because I wanted to get stuff out quickly. Um, and and so people didn't like that, right? And, and I can understand the, the point of view, but, you know, that was just the way I operated. That's really interesting because I can divulge that as Minister of Communications, there have been a number of really sensitive articles that have had to be published in the last term. And we used a very similar pro process that you're describing, which is you draft it up in Google Docs, you send the link to folks who need it, maybe foreign affairs, president, your other editors, uh, people in the know, and you make sure that you're not publishing anything insane, but you also don't publish it in the drafting hall until you know maybe a minute before you publish or five minutes before you publish because you need to get the formatting right. Um, you want people who don't maybe have Google Doc to have a final say, but sometimes when you put these things in the, in the draft rooms, it takes the punch away, as you say, and if you are going for a big reaction, and I think that we're, you know, of the same mindset here, you want you want people to be reacting in a public space where everybody can be like, oh my god, this is the worst opinion ever. Uh, this 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 is just completely disqualifying. You want that to be in a public thread, not not in the draft thread. So that's just it's really interesting. Sometimes uh, what's old is new again. Right. Yeah. And, and you're just exactly right. You want those reactions. You want that engagement happening in the actual EBC. So before we wrap up today, I wanted to ask you a little bit about today's, you know, it's media day, uh, hopefully the first of many annual media days. And part of media day is celebrating all content creators, all media moguls in European history. So my question for you, putting you on the spot a little bit, do you have you know, either a Mount Rushmore or a few folks that really you look up to in the media world, either during, before, or after your most active time in Arapea? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And of course, the, the answer is yes. We've had some great uh, media personalities in the region over the years, uh, and I can name quite a few. Um, but I think, you know, I think one that I would really, you know, it would be remiss if I didn't name would be him, right? Him has done a fantastic job with uh, his private media outlet. And I think what I would say is he writes good pieces. I think he's one of our most talented writers in the region, uh, to be frank. His pieces are, are usually tightly wound up, you know, nicely copy edited, uh, concise, uh, with you know, good structure and, and just well written in general. So I, I've always liked reading his pieces. Don't always agree with him, but that's that's media, right? But he generally has good, reasonable, well rounded takes that are that are well done. Another media kind of uh, personality that I, that I've really grown to respect over the years that I that, you know if you asked me this five years ago I would have said you know you're you're crazy um, this this dude is one of the worst writers in the whole region um, but Gravandius has become a fantastic journalist in the region uh, over the past few years with his statistics based um, and uh, statistics based journalism and his data driven journalism. Uh, and his writing has really improved too, right? But I get it. He was a young kid back then, grew up, you know, and he's become a better writer. Um, but so I, really what he's done, just the turnaround from, you know, I mean, it was a running joke in the region. You know, everyone that was around back then knows that, you know, it's just his spelling was the most atrocious. Uh, but he's really gotten a lot better as a writer. overall, And he's done some of his best work with his media outlet and the region has recognized it. You know, I believe he's won a couple of awards, you know, during our annual media competitions and things like that. So Gravandius, you know, really is, it's just become a fantastic data, data driven journalist here in the region. So there's those two, uh, McIntyre, um, in, in terms of polling, McIntyre has always done, you know, quality polls and analysis. Um, Calvin Coolidge had done some good EBC work, some some print or some radio work as well. So there are a lot of people. Um, Karamia, right? Uh, one of the things I really emphasized with her when when we were working together as minister and deputy minister was uh, dispatches. And I will say this: like she ran the dispatch squad better than anybody has ever run it. Uh, and, and and I'm not saying that just because she was my deputy minister, but because of how vigilant she was and all of that. And so. That is a huge job in and of itself. And, and even after that term, when she did that, she continued to push the importance of dispatches, continued to run the dispatch squad and the upvote squad and, and all that kind of stuff. So just because Karamia hasn't always been the most prolific writer um, and author of pieces, uh, she has done a tremendous amount of work uh, with, it, with the dispatch program. So that's someone else. But, so there, there are just a lot of people. And I think it's just a reflection of the, the varied personalities that we have in the region, um, you know, the depth of conversation we have in the region where we can have so many different media outlets and media personalities covering so many different topics. So, yeah, I, we have just a rich media history, um, a rich media tradition, and I hope that we can con continue that and keep it going forward. Speaking of forward, are we going to expect to only hear from you once a year on Media Day? Or is there ever a chance that DH is going to be back posting spicy takes and peeling back some layers in the EBC in the future? You know, I mean, I'm still here, right? I, I love the region. I'm going to stick around the region. I, I did an appearance on EBC Radio in March to discuss the, the war in Russia. Uh, it was a show that I conceptualized, that I pitched, 
that I hosted with Seva and Old Delaware. Um, so I could definitely see myself doing something on the radio again in the future. And I'll never, ever completely say, no, I'm not going to write for the EBC again. Uh, it's just been such a, a big part of what I've done. You know, I've only written for the EBC. You know, it, it's really where I identify my, my, my work. So if there's a topic that, that piques my interest and something that I feel needs to be said, and, I, and here's the thing, I want to be following closely enough, right? I want to be engaged enough to have a good understanding of something, a meaningful understanding, and be able to write a meaningful piece. I'm not just going to write something to write something and get my name on a byline because it's been a while. You know, uh, I want to I want to make sure that I really understand it. So I'll never say no, right? But I think probably in the future, more likely to see me on EBC Radio for some quick hot takes on geopolitical events uh, like the war in Russia than, than anything else right now. All right, that's it's good to hear that you're still going to be around. I love your spicy takes, even if I'm sad that they'll be relegated to the real life world and hopefully they're not too spicy when it comes to russia ukraine but hey um i don't know i haven't listened to that yet so we yeah. don't get so, into that yeah yeah and like you said there, there, I, i've written a lot uh, of pieces uh, and one of the things cal made a comment one time that i thought was really interesting after i published a piece about the senate um uh, something he said this this piece is the latest in a long line of dh pieces about the region senate so apparently i've been i've been writing about the senate a lot so um, if people want to go back and, and read some historical articles, there, there's plenty out there. There's a lot there and it's all really, really good. So we will definitely either link in the description or send folks over to the EBC for some amazing historical. And, you know, some of this stuff is not that, you know, it's not like it's gathering dust in the EBC. This stuff, you know, all that is old is new again. There's comments about reform, Senate conduct nomination processes it's all in there and you've seen some really interesting times and covered them in a really engaging way so i really am excited that i was able to chat with you and so that our listeners can get another you know inside look at the thought process and you know the the man behind all this amazing work yeah well hey i appreciate it uh this was a lot of fun to talk about and, you know, I look forward to media day and, and all the content and engagement that'll happen then. So uh, I'm always happy to come on. Just uh, let me know when. Absolutely. Thanks again, DH. Thanks again to Grav and DH for agreeing to be on the Ministry of Pod. Hope you enjoyed the show celebrating some of Arapea's most prolific media contributors. Music